Hi, everyone. How are we doing this morning? Nice to see you. Great. And if you're visiting us today, then um, you're really, really welcome to be with us. And I hope you're enjoying being with us as well. Now then, when you go down the Gower, and you're not running an Ironman, but maybe you go more leisurely visit, you will notice, isn't it, on the different beaches around, there are some different shipwrecks that, and uh, remains of boats and things that you can discover and spot. And some people like to kind of go hunting for these. So one of the most famous is down at Rosilli, where at low tide, you can see uh, the remains of their Helvetia, which... Uh, was beached in 1887, a Norwegian boat, I think, that um, fortunately no lives were lost, um, but uh, they were waiting for a captain, I think, and uh, there was a big storm and some gales, probably even worse than we've had this weekend. But there we are, so you can go down and spot that one there. But one I didn't know about, which I heard about recently, was down in Oxwich, there was a, a boat, there was an oil tanker, and uh, it was traveling across, it got hit by a German U-boat in the sec- during the Second World War. And it managed to kind of, it wasn't headed to Swansea, but it managed to kind of make its way to Swansea. And um, they like beached it down in Oxwich and then they kind of unloaded all the parts they could get hold of. But some of it is still there and you can spot it when the tide is low enough. And if you're like looking for where it is, apparently there's a big W being painted on the cliffs to show you where the wreck is. So if that interests you. But anyway, back in 1986, on the shore of Galilee in Israel, there'd been a drought uh, there'd been like a season of drought, and the lake there had subsided. And there was two local fishermen, the Lufan brothers, and they were keen kind of amateur archaeologists. They liked to kind of look into the history of their region and their nation and kind of see if they could find old things when they were out and about. So they went down to explore where the, um, where the drought, you know, had kind of exposed the land to see if they could spot anything. And as they were walking along, they unearthed and they came across the kind of outline of what appeared to be a boat. And so they called in some kind of, you know, specialists and they all like descended on it and they started to, you know, unearth it. And they kind of realized, oh, this could be something really significant. But they were under, there was like the time was of the essence because they had to, um, spot what was there and try and get it out before the lake, um, you know, the tides kind of rose back and covered it over again. So they started to work on it as quickly as they could, but they found that it was so old, they realized this could be really significant, it was so old that it was almost like paper mache, like the wood would just kind of crumble. And so they were trying to unearth it as fast as they can, but then try and be really careful at the same time. And eventually what they did is they... um, they put this like, um, what's it called, that like insulating foam, you know, like you use in your house. I don't know if it was the same one, but they kind of coated it in this insulating foam to kind of protect the boat. And then they use that to float it like up onto the lake and float it up and out of the lake. And then when they managed to kind of, you know, get it into a, a safer place and they carbon dated it and tested it and they found some little remains in it, they found and discovered that this boat was like 2,000 years old and they dated it between 50 BC to 50 AD, um, based on like the wood and the items they found in it. And they noticed that it was made up of all different types of wood. And so they reckoned that this boat had been like used for decades and had been passed down the generations and repaired many, many, many times until eventually it was like unusable and they took the best bits off and they just like allowed the hull to kind of sink to the bottom of the lake. And so because of the time that this boat was in use, it was nicknamed the Jesus Boat, 
because it was, uh, you know, it was uh, at the time of Jesus. And this boat could hold about 12 to 15 people. It was a fisherman's boat. Uh, there was space for four rowers, and it would have had a sail on it as well. And so it's kind of like the classic type of boat that Jesus may have used. Now, there's no evidence to suggest Jesus actually used this boat. There was probably hundreds of boats like this, but, you know, this is the type of one that Jesus would have uh, used, and his disciples and his followers, that's the kind of one from the day. And you can still, if you want to, you can go and see it in a museum today if you happen to be anywhere nearby. And this little, this picture here is kind of, if they reconstructed it, what it would look like. So anyway, today, we're starting a new series, and it's called In the Boat with Jesus. And so, What's this series going to be all about? This might seem a little bit random, really, um, for a summer series. What's it all about? Well, in, when you look through the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life, there's around a dozen stories um, that are recorded there that take place in a boat or take place on the shore, uh, and boats are mentioned in some way or the other, or simply that they start or end with a boat journey. So, for example, in Mark uh, for example, here we go. It says this, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. And then it goes on to record, you know, an event that took place. And so partly the reason why this is mentioned all the time, these kind of boats and being by the shore, is just simply that in this, the first half of Jesus' ministry, he was, the location he was in was in and around the Sea of Galilee. And he was using boats to travel to the different towns and go back and forth. And fishing was like, you know, obviously a really big trade. And so this was just like an everyday normal part of life. Just like we might pop, you know, jump in the car and drive somewhere. Do you know what I mean? This was just like an everyday normal part of life. So that's, you know, partly why it's recorded. But also sometimes the gospel writers, they mention this detail of Jesus being in the boat and it isn't, isn't really like essential to the next story or the event that takes place. You know, Jesus might arrive in a boat, but then what happens takes place somewhere else down the road or, you know, and it's not necessary. Or sometimes as well, these stories are even retold or we might know of them and think of them. And we got no reference to the fact that they were in a boat at all. So, for example, in Matthew, Matthew records a number of Jesus' parables, stories that he told to kind of teach about the kingdom of God and God's values and that kind of thing. And so for one example, he puts like a little group of them together and he introduces them like this. He says, later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake and a large crowd soon gathered around him. So he got into a boat. Then he sat there and he taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. And then he goes on to tell six or seven parables that, you know, that we are famous and that we, would, that we know of, things like the parable of the sower or the pearl of great price. And so we might be familiar with these parables. We might have heard of them told. We might have heard of them taught. But they probably, you know, we don't have any maybe reference to the fact that Jesus was telling them in the boat, isn't it? We kind of forget that detail. It's almost like an extra unnecessary detail. And we retell them or reshare them without mentioning it. But this extra detail about it being in a boat or, the, you know, that kind of thing is there deliberately. And the gospel authors were really skilled at telling and retelling the events of Jesus' life. And when we read them today, they can seem quite simply written, isn't it? But when they wrote them, you know, 2,000 years ago or in that time, in their kind of culture and how things were written and the style, they were included techniques and styles that people then would have recognized and picked up on. And it helped them not only to record what happened, 
but to communicate the significance of what happened as well, uh, to get to the heart of what these events were about. So it was, you know, the information of what happened and helping us to see why it was important and to see the meaning of what was going on. And so one of their tools in their communicating was the importance of the setting. And so by adding the detail that Jesus was in the boat or was at the shore or had arrived by boat or left by boat, it would give a clue to the reader about what this next passage is about and what it's trying to communicate. It like frames the story. So we recognize this today as well, don't we? When we read a book or we watch a movie or that kind of thing or tell a story, the setting gives us a clue to, you know, the character's background or what to expect or what type of film or what type of book we're about to watch. So if you remember when the Pirates of the Caribbean came out, like 15 or so years ago, straight away that title, it gives you an idea of, of what the film's going to be about, isn't it, and what to expect and the adventures and, you know, that kind of stuff. Now, if you saw, oh, there's a new film coming out, The Pirates of Pembroke Dock, you would immediately be expecting a very different kind of film, wouldn't you? It's going to look different, it's going to feel different, some of the stories might be very similar, but it's going to straight away, that setting, it's going to set it very differently. But apparently, Pembrokeshire, it was one of like the hot spots for pirating in the world, and one of the world's most successful pirates, apparently, is from Pembrokeshire, Barty D. So you can look that up if you're interested. But, you know, similar things, but the setting gives two very different vibes. Now, on this note, okay, I remember Beth and Sean sharing a story once of when they had come back from honeymoon. They'd gone to Egypt on honeymoon, and uh, one day they were walking along, and, um, you know, someone came up to them, and, or someone in their hotel or whatever, sold them, like, an excursion. And it was to go on this boat ride, and it was like, oh, it's an old, like, you know, classic ship. And there's lunch on board, and then you go snorkeling and sightseeing and, you know, kind of sold like this. They said, oh, yeah, that sounds, you know, really nice, bit of a classic boat, that kind of thing. So they signed, they, yeah, they agreed, picked the date, paid their money, signed up. So a couple of days later or whatever, they go down to the marina, and uh, they come across the guy who sold them their boat ride, and he's dressed in full pirate outfit with a baraclava and eye patch, and then hands them each an eye patch as they are about to step onto this boat. And then they look up and they see that there's a, a skull and crossbones on the, uh, the sail of this boat on the mast. And they look around the boat and they realize that what they were really sold was a children's pirate ship ride. And uh, all the kids there with goodie bags, excited and squealing. And then five minutes later, all feeling very, very seasick. And so the setting is very important, isn't it? For, you know, the same... This boat took the same journey for two very, very different boat rides. So, are you with me? So, what are some of the settings that we've kind of explored already as we've looked through different series of Jesus' life? Well, do you remember a few years back, we did a series, Meals with Jesus, and we looked at all the times that Jesus was invited to someone's home or, you know, had people over hospitality and ate with people. And this is one of the things that Jesus was known for, was that he ate with all different kinds of people. And this was like really controversial in Jesus' day because society was very divided and there was this like social ladder and you were always trying to associate upwards. And meals and who you ate with was one of the ways that would facilitate this. And so when you invited a guest over to your home, you know, you'd think really carefully about who you invited or if you were invited to someone's house, who you, invitations that you accepted and invitations that you rejected 
really spoke volumes about kind of how you were presenting yourself to the world and what was around you. But Jesus accepted all manner of invitations from all kinds of people, from the rich, from the poor, from the elites to those that were like untouchable and that no one would want to associate or have over their home. And Jesus demonstrated how God's welcome reaches to all. And not just like in a, um, a night, not just in like a saying it kind of way, but literally I will go into your home and I will eat with you and I will be with you and everyone will see it, but you're important to me kind of way. And I love that, you know, here we are in this room today, all different cultures, different languages, different life experiences, different stories, different backgrounds. But here we are in one place together, united by Jesus, people online as well. And if we decided to have a picnic, as we sometimes do after the meeting right now, we would think nothing of it, would we? We would think nothing of eating together and being together and hanging out together. It wouldn't even cross our minds that that might be a thing that's controversial or saying something. And this is part of Jesus' legacy, how Jesus has changed our world. Isn't that amazing? And we live in the benefit of that. So when we come across like a meal scene in Jesus' life, this was often a setting for how he was turning over the values of society and showing what the values of the kingdom of God were like, both in what he said and in how he lived it out. And the meal scenes are kind of like used as like the setting for where this takes place. So one of the most famous examples is when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. You know, Jesus, the honored guest, the leader of the group, takes the role of the servant, the most humblest servant, does the worst job, and says to his followers and his disciples, you do the same. This is what leadership looks like. This is what it means to lead, you know, to be a servant. And that's a radically different picture, isn't it, from what it was then, and even often from what it is today. And so Jesus, the meal scenes, when we see that Jesus was oh, going over someone's house to eat, you're like, okay, let's get ready to see what does the kingdom of God look like lived out in, in the present? And it makes the reader think, what would it look like for us to live that out in our present today? So that's kind of the clue. Another series we did, do you remember during like lockdown times, we did the Journey to the Cross series, which is probably our longest ever series. It seemed to go on forever, or maybe that's just my memory of lockdown, I don't know. But um, in this uh, one, Luke uses the setting of like a travel diary. And uh, he starts it off by saying, um, he says this, at this time, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And Luke puts like a whole section of his gospel, almost as like a travel diary of Jesus' like journey to Jerusalem. And every few events, every few passages, he just puts in this sentence to remind you that Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. So he says, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And then he tells a few events that here, and then a little later on he'll say again, then Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. And he just keeps saying, as he made his way to Jerusalem, as he made his way to Jerusalem. And it seems like an unnecessary detail. And after a while, you're like, yeah, yeah, okay, we get the point. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. But he puts this setting in, this unnecessary detail, because it focuses your attention that Jesus was on a mission. And Jesus had a goal at the end of it. And this goal was going to be the cross, where Jesus died and gave up his life for you and for me. And he died for all the wrong things that people have ever done or ever will do that separate us from God so we could receive God's love, we could receive God's forgiveness, that we could know him in our lives today. And ultimately, Jesus rose again. He came back to life again, defeating death 
so that we can have the gift of eternal life. And so all these things that Jesus doing, they weren't just nice things to do, but there was a goal at the end of it to rescue people because he loves people. And so as you're reading it, it's focusing you again on the goal, on the goal, on the goal that he was here to rescue, that he's here for us, that he's here for you, and that as his followers, that's part of our story as well, that we have a goal, that we play our part in the rescue, and that is us for us to join in with as well. And so what about the boat then? What, when we see that Jesus was in a boat or by a boat or stepped off a boat or got into a boat, what is this giving us a clue to? What are we meant to be expecting? What is the readers trying to you know, alert our attention to? Well, when you see Jesus in the boat, one thing that you notice is that it's only ever the disciples that get into the boat with Jesus. So whereas when Jesus with meals, there was all types of, you know, all different people, people that were friends, people that were curious, people that were interested, people that weren't interested, people that were enemies, people trying to trap him, all different types of people. And Jesus always said yes, and he would go along. Or when you see Jesus on the hillsides or in the streets or, you know, in the synagogues, you see crowds of people coming around, people watching, people asking questions, people curious, people following in the crowd, people standing back in the crowd. You get the idea. But when Jesus steps into a boat, it's only ever the disciples that go with him. It's those who've stepped out from the crowd who are onlookers and watching to those who've decided that I'm going to follow and I'm getting in the boat with you. Whatever happens in this boat, we're in the same boat. Uh, he's getting in. And so the boat stories are all about, oh, there they are, look, first ever selfie. The boat stories are all about discipleship. What this what is kind of alerting us to, these stories are about what does it mean to be a disciple or to follow Jesus? What does it look like? What are the implications? And another word for disciple is apprentice or apprenticeship. And it's like Jesus is the master craftsman or tradesman in the family trade, and we're there as learners, learning to do what the master does so that we can do it too, so that we can play our part and we can join in in the family trade and follow in their footsteps. So what does an apprenticeship with Jesus look like? Well, in this series, we're going to explore how the boat was a place of adventure, where faith is stretched, where we're learning to trust Jesus for our lives, to trust him for the things that we can't do and only Jesus can do, that only he can help us with. The times we see where Jesus walked on water or he calmed the storm and they had to trust who Jesus was and what he had said and his promises. We see that the boat was a place of mission. It was a means of coming and going and reaching people on the other side of the lake, and it was a way to reach them with the goodness of the love of God and the things that Jesus wanted to bring. And the boat was what took them there. God's love, his welcome, his healing. We see that the boat was a place of learning. It was a moment where Jesus would teach his followers and they would reflect on the things that had happened together and they would learn together and talk about it. And then today, to kind of kick us off just in the last little bit of today's talk, we're going to have a quick look how that the boat was a place of calling. It was an invitation to get on board to that choice, to step out from the crowd who may be following but watching and decide that I want to be a follower and get in the boat and I want to do it too. I want to take on this apprenticeship or this discipleship with Jesus. And sometimes that choice came with a cost. They had to leave something behind to get into the boat and begin that journey. 
and this will be covered a little bit more next week. But today we'll have a quick look at two stories that kind of kick us off and get us going and thinking about it. So here we go. Mark chapter 1, it says this. After John, that was Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent. That means change your mind and believe the good news. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Then you have a few little events, and then next it says, oh, sorry, this is the same bit. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. Okay, and then you get a few events with these few, and then it says this a little bit later. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. So now, you, hold on a minute, I thought we were in the boat, now we're in a meal. So you've got two going on at once here, so anyway. <laughs> Along with many tax collectors and sinners and other disreputable sinners, there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And so I love how Jesus, how we saw how he, would, how he ate and he defended those that he ate with when they were, you know, accused in this way. So two things to kind of kick us off today. So when Jesus calls these people to follow him, we see there really is a call to like an apprenticeship. I think that's such a great word for it. Jesus says, follow me and I will teach you or I will show you how to fish for people. And following Jesus is more than just something that we believe in our heads or even more than just receiving the gifts of grace and love and kindness and eternal life and all the gifts that Jesus has for us. It's also an invitation to partnership and to relationship where we pursue a common goal together, where we do something together. It's a calling to, le to learn to be more like Jesus, to be like him in his character and to do the things he did. And Jesus says, I will show you how to fish for people. And just like Jesus has met with us, he's saying, I want you to introduce people to me as well. And I'm going to show you how to do it. And we're going to do it together because what I've done for you, I want, I've done for others as well. And I love how we see this with Levi, that he puts it into practice straight away. Immediately that day, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with tax collectors, his colleagues, and his friends, who were known as, you know, sinners in the kind of the way that people looked at them in that culture. And so Levi straight away, straight away, invites his friends and his colleagues, and he introduces them to Jesus. And I love how he's proactive. He doesn't wait for Jesus to ask him. He doesn't wait for Jesus to tell him to do it. He just goes out 
and he invites them. And he does it simply. He does hospitality. Friends over the house and introduces them to Jesus. And I think that's, you know, such a great way. And so for us, as we go on this year, we've been looking at our uh, kind of our goal for this year, isn't it? We've been thinking about community, mission, and miracles. How can we take the initiative where we are and to reach out in the things that Jesus has called us to? What are ways that we can show hospitality and we can invite and we can extend friendship and we can introduce people to Jesus? Levi did it right there with his friends in his setting. How can we do the same where we are? We are? And as we do this as well, you know, Jesus says, come and follow me. And don't you find that when we, when we do follow Jesus in this way, is that we often find that he's already gone before us. Like we invite someone and then they turn around and say, oh yeah, I've been waiting for you to ask me. Or oh, I've been thinking about that. Chloe was telling me recently, she may have shared it with you before, how she was in the gym and the gym in, in a class and the, the lady was doing the lesson. She was uh, doing weights, isn't it? It's like a weights class. And she suddenly put down the weights and she said, oh, sorry, you guys carry on. I've really hurt my shoulder. I, I can't uh, carry on for a moment. And so Chloe was thinking, oh, maybe I should offer to pray for her. So she carried on with the class. And then when the class ended, Chloe went up and said, oh, you know, I'm part of a church. And we often pray for people who've had an injury or unwell. And we've seen many people recovered or healed when we pray. Would you like me to pray for you? And the girl said, oh, actually, Chloe, I've been waiting for you to ask. She said, I came to your church's Christmas service a few years ago with a friend, and I've had this like neck and shoulder problem for ages, and I've had some physio and acupuncture, and I just, you know, I'm just not shifting, and I've been waiting for you to ask, ask me to pray for me, because um, in the Christmas service, we'd shared some healing stories and prayed for people, and so we prayed, Chloe prayed for her in the gym, and uh, then she, the lady went off to her next class, and then when Chloe was back in later in the week and asked her how her neck and shoulder was, the girl said that it was completely fine. And after she prayed, it can be completely better. Isn't that amazing? So often we find, we pluck up the courage to do something, and we find that we're just following Jesus. We're catching up with what he's doing already. Okay, a second thing that stands out when you see this kind of first little boat story is that the people that Jesus called, they left something behind to follow Jesus. So the fishermen, they left their nets at once, and they followed. Or Levi left his booth and followed. And so to follow Jesus, to step into the boat, it's like stepping into a new life and a new purpose. And in, for these people in particular, in their case, they had to leave something very physical behind. It meant to follow Jesus on his travels in that particular time, you know, that they had to leave their jobs and they had to leave their boats. And for the fishermen, this would have been a cost because to a fisherman, it was actually quite a good job. It was a good job. It was a, you know, it would have been you know, people needed fish. It was like, it was the main, one of the main things they ate. So to be a fisherman, it was a good job. And for James and John, it says their family had hired men. So they were obviously, you know, a wealthy family who were doing really well in their business. And they had to, like, put that down to follow Jesus in this context. But what you see as the story unfolds is that it was totally worth it. And in fact, they jumped at the opportunity. They jumped at the opportunity. Now, sometimes today, when Jesus calls us to follow him in different ways, Sometimes it requires a similar physical leaving something behind. Um, I know like my parents, you know, they were in Hereford and they were working for a church there. And over many weeks and months, they felt through different people, like in Tim's kids' spot, through praying and through different people. And when they read the Bible, they felt that God was telling them and speaking to them to move to Swansea. And uh, they had something for them to do here, which, you know, has ended up being this, Cornerstone Church, 33 years later, here we are. Um, 
But it's important not to get like too wrapped up in that one type of example. Because I find for most of us, we find that when Jesus calls us, it's actually to the place that we are. It's to the place that we are with the people that we know and the people on our street and the friends that we have and the colleagues that we have. And that's where he calls us. But it's like going into that environment with a new purpose or with a new perspective. So if I'm a worker in a shop or if I'm a student or if I'm at school or if I run a business or if I stay at home as a parent or a carer, I'm still doing those things. But now I'm also an ambassador for Jesus in those things, in the way that I live, in the way that I speak, in the way that I share, in the way that I share my faith, in the way that I am, that I'm representing Jesus. And so sometimes there's a leaving behind of maybe priorities or values or practices or things that I did before. Then I was an ambassador of Jesus. I pick up some new things that I do and, uh, for him. So for us today, as we enter into this kind of new series of being an apprentice of Jesus, if you like, and exploring that, I think there's one thing that we could all be challenged to leave behind or to replace with something new. And it's a thought that we can sometimes have in our, in our thinking. And we may say it in different ways, but it's this thought that when we look at Jesus and what he leads in and what he calls us to do, that we sometimes look at that and we have some version of this in our heads. I could never do that. Or I don't think I could do that. Or that's not for me. Whether that's sharing our faith with a friend or our colleagues, whether that's learning to pray for people to be healed, whether that's stepping out of behaviors and patterns that we know aren't good for us or aren't good for our relationships and we've been living with for a while, but we think, oh, I can't. Sometimes we have this thought, I can't or I don't. I couldn't do that. But when you think of an apprentice, first day on the job, or like a trainee medic or a trainee teacher. I've had some PGCs going on the last year here. You may look at the kind of the expert or the teacher on that first day, and you think, gosh, I don't know if I can do that. You know, how did they do that? Make it look so easy. I don't think I could do that. But you don't, they don't stop on day one. Because if they can take, you know, lived by that, I couldn't do that, then they probably never will. But you don't stop on day one. But there's a journey of learning that takes place. And there's a commitment to learning and growing with the help of the teacher. And we saw this with Moses in our Moses series that we just finished, didn't we? That when God called Moses, Moses said this to him. You know, God says, Moses, go back, lead the people out of um, Egypt, out of slavery, go and speak to Pharaoh. And Moses says, oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. And I never have been. And I'm not, not now, even though you've spoken to me. I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. And it says, the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? And who decides whether people speak or do not speak or hear or do not hear? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak. And I will instruct you in what to say. And we see that Moses, he did go. And he went with his brother to help him. And step by step, little by little, with God's help instructing him and being with him, he began to put it into practice. And he went on, isn't it, to do the amazing and mighty things that we've been exploring in our last series. But he didn't start there. He started with choosing to put aside, I can't do it, to, okay, with you and with some help, maybe I can. And over time, he did. And so for us too, in our lives as we walk with Jesus, 
Let's leave behind the mindset, I could never. Let's like make that the forbidden phrase, I could never. And instead, let's replace it with the thought and commitment that with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit who lives within me and with one another, helping each other and learning together and encouraging each other, that instead of I can't do that, we think, do you know what? I'm going to learn how. I'm going to learn how. And it might take me a week. It might take me the next five years, but I'm going to learn how. And step by step, I'm going to take this adventure on one step at a time. As Jesus says to us, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I'm going to be with the Father. So let's, let's put this into our think. Let's replace the I could never with what Jesus says and put this into our thinking. And, uh, and as we do that, if we go into this series with that in mind, and if we can picture ourselves like climbing into the boat with Jesus, I mean, all right, we're in the same boat now. So wherever you go, I'm going as well. And whatever you do, I'm going to see it. And I'm here with one another. And I'm taking a step. And let's see what adventure we get on. And I think if we go in with that mindset, we'll get a lot from it and we can see ourselves grow together. You up for that? So why don't we pray and then I'll hand back to Chloe. Jesus, I thank you that you call us into a friendship with you, a partnership with you, relationship with you, that you have entered into our lives like when you sat down with people for a meal and then you welcome us into the boat to go on this adventure and to see what you do because your love and your kindness and your goodness and your rescue is for all people. And I thank you that some of those all people are on our street or in our school or our next door neighbor or the person that we sit opposite at work. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are with us and you want to extend your welcome through us. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you now to inspire us and encourage us and equip us as we go on this summer series and adventure with you, that you would empower us and teach us and show us how to do the things that you did so we can see you do some amazing things through us and so you can bring your love and blessing to others through us together as a church. In Jesus' name, amen.